If we could turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 21 through 26. So the reason I started off with laying the foundation for grace is because this is a heavy text. And like I told you guys before, I always, um, sometimes I think, okay, I just preached a heavy, when I say heavy text, a heavy portion of scripture that Jesus preached. Sometimes I say, okay, next week's going to be a little lighter. But I learned 99% of the time, it just goes from one heavy thing that Jesus said to another heavy thing. Now, this is because Jesus is talking about the deepest things of our existence, of who we are, of the ultimate plan of all things. So everything is deep, everything is heavy, but everything is tremendously beneficial. So everything Jesus preached, everything he taught in the scriptures was ultimately for our joy. Do you realize God didn't come to earth and say, I'm going down to earth and I want to stop everyone from enjoying themselves. That's my goal. Sometimes people think that's Christianity, right? Oh man, Jesus came down on the cross, now I can't enjoy myself. It's exactly the opposite. Christ died so that you could have the greatest joy because you will be happiest when your faith is in Christ and you are in relationship with God because you were made to be in relationship with God. See, many people have trouble with the fact that God is personal. Some people can even say, well, God had, there had to be a God who made the earth. I mean, look at the design of all things. Look at our creation, you know, look at all this. There has to be a God. But when you start saying God is personal, that he knows you and he has known you and you love him because he loved you first, people start saying, hold on right there. But I'm here to tell you the truth today through the scriptures that God is a personal God. That yes, he knows us as a people, as a church, but he knows us individually. He loves us individually. And when you are loved by God and when you love God, that's where you find joy. So this text today is for your happiness. It's for your joy. It's a warning. Anyone who truly loves somebody will warn them if they're in danger. If they don't warn them, they either love themselves too much because they don't want the other person not to like them. There's so many things that are tied into that. But Jesus loves us too much not to warn us about punishment and judgment and those kinds of things. So as a church, there's some churches out there that they'll handpick text that no one has an issue with, right? So, okay, let's take chapter 9, let's take chapter 2. This is going to keep people in the seats. It actually says that most people don't pre preach on hell, on sexual morality, on things that could offend people because it, it puts down the giving and it puts down the attendance. That's not going to happen in this house. If there's three people in here, we're still going to preach the scriptures. You know what I mean? It'd be easier to set up, to be honest with you. But we're going to just keep preaching the scriptures because we don't know better than God. And because we want the whole counsel of God. And because God is more loving than we could ever be. God is more compassionate than we could ever be. God is more merciful than we can ever be. So when we come to texts like this today, we might have questions. We might say, hold on. But I encourage you, don't write it off. Don't write the words of the Son of God. Ask questions about it. Keep seeking. Work through it. But do not come away offended at the words of Jesus. Many people did that. Jesus would be preaching. And people even following for a while, he'd preach something. they said, that's too hot. I'm out of here. People call themselves disciples. I urge you not to have that response to the Son of God. I urge you, even if there's the questions, even if you want to be offended, ask people, spend time, get in the Word. There's so many things, and God will reveal it to you. Amen? So today we're going to talk about anger. How many people have trouble with anger? And I'm mad that I'm asking this question and making you raise your hand. 
I would say 90% of everyone in Greater Boston has a problem with anger. What is wrong with people? Like, I'm serious. Everyone is just angry. I don't even know why people are angry. I, I, I get the finger three times a week. I don't even know why on the roads. Like, I'm just trying to follow the rules. Anyone, I don't know if anyone saw on YouTube, there was a clip of a woman who was just mad at the Boston College kids. Did anyone see that? And she threw all kind of profanity. She's from Medford. Threw all kind of profanities out. She insulted them. She said, we don't want you here. And when you watch this woman, what everyone's response was, this is us. She had the accent. She's mad about something. She's making a video about it. She's all upset. Whatever was said is, you know, under the links, you saw some things linking Massachusetts with some profane words worked together about how we are as a people. They see this woman and say, all people from Massachusetts are words I cannot use in the house of the Lord. My hope is that we, at Restoration Road, changed by the power of the gospel, are not people who are angry all the time, who are insulting people all the time, who are calling people names. Because when you do that, God, Jesus talks about it here, and we'll get into it. It is very serious. See, we take it light. People saw that video, and we laugh at it. Oh, we're all angry. Ha <laughs> ha! No, it's very serious, and God takes it serious when we live angry lives and we, we put insults and call people's names. That's very serious to God. And we need to feel that same weight and allow the grace of God to change us inwardly so we are peacemakers, not people who are always caught up in angry living. So I'm going to share something personal with you guys. That's another thing we do at Restoration Road. I want to be open with you guys. I want to be transparent with you guys. I want to be vulnerable. Many of you know I'll give a brief thing. My father abandoned us when we were younger. Some of you might have the same story. Just gone. Just lived for myself. He self-proclaims as the most selfish man who ever lived. Gone. Abandoned. I won't get into all the details, but he was a drug addict. So he left us. When your father leaves, that puts you through a lot of pain. Puts you through a lot of pain. All of a sudden, your mom, your sister, your brother, you're trying to make it through the world. You don't have someone who's leading and providing. Your mom has to take that job solely. Um, as a young man, you don't have someone that shows you the ropes and tells you how to get through struggles and teaches you and all those kind of things that I don't care if there's some 40-year-old men in here that still need a father figure in their life. And that's true, and we don't need to lie about that. Some men are still looking for dads, and they're 40 years old. So naturally... Me, my siblings, everyone, my mom, that caused a lot of turmoil that didn't have to be there if my father loved and performed his duty and was responsible as a dad. Years down the road, he never tried to contact us. When I, I mean, I think I was in my early 20s. I pursued him. You know, you always have that feeling. I want to know my dad. I want to know his deal. I want to, you know. So I pursued my dad and you know, tried to have a relationship, and we went out a few times and this and that. In the past years, we've been talking, trying to build a relationship as much as you can with the most selfish man in America. It's not always easy out there when people don't think they are the center of creation. And so my dad, ever since he got back to my life, said, you never have to explain anything to me. I know what I did. Basically, he's saying, I have no reason to get aggravated at you ever again in my life because of the debt I owe you and your siblings and your mom, I have no reason to get mad. Guess what happened like three months ago? He got mad at me. And it caught me off guard because I said, you had a debt, brother. <laughs> you know, 
most people are like, why do you have a relationship with your father? Why are you doing this? So I thought, well, he has no reason. There's no way he's ever going to get mad at me the rest of his life. Because if you have that kind of debt, you can't be getting aggravated at stuff, right? I think that's a slate. Write that slate clean. I didn't want to go to a Red Sox game, and he gets mad at me on the phone. Now, it's the first time my biological father has ever confronted me with anger. You know what my response was? Exactly what I just told you. Is this dude serious? Does he have any reason to live an angry life when I have chosen to have a relationship with him? Now, I'm just a mere man. I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I owe it that. But there was a large debt there that was forgiven. I pursued him. I wanted a relationship. He has no reason ever to be angry. And I still love my father. There's grace, grace all over that. But I thought it was helpful. And I'm not saying that to dishonor my father. I'm saying because I think it's helpful to our big idea here. We need to be open and transparent. In the same way, God has forgiven us a greater debt. We are greater sinners than even, believe it or not, a man who abandons his children. We are greater sinners in the eyes of God. God chose to pursue us. He chose to have a relationship with us. He took the punishment that was ours to bear on the cross. He rose again, reconciling us to God the Father. We have no reason to live angry. We have no reason to be angry with our brothers and sisters. We have no reason to be angry at life. We have no reason to be angry at everyone else who are image bearers of God. Do you guys hear me? That's an eternal debt that should humble us, and we should be eternally grateful, and we, as followers of Jesus, should be peacemakers, not the angriest. So let's dive in, and let's read the text, because it's heavy here. You have heard that it was said of old, you shall not murder, for whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him with court. Going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you paid the last penny. So let's unpack. There's a lot in there and we'll get there. The first thing you said, Jesus says in the next few things, he's going to talk about lust. He's going to talk about divorce. He's going to talk about retaliation. He's going to talk about loving your enemies. And he's going to say, you have heard it was said of old. And he's going to say something right after it. Ask the lawgiver to teach people what it really means to live a life where your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and scribes. Where did he end us off last weekend? Remember, this is one sermon. We're breaking it out over a bunch of times, but this is still the same sermon. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees or the religious leaders, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is he saying? Unless there's internal heart-mind change in your life, you will never even be part of the kingdom of heaven. Oswald Chambers says a sermon on the mount is like Holy Spirit minds that go off. Like we hear the stuff like, oh my goodness, we'll get there. 
Hold on, you said the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Why are you talking about being angry? We'll get there. You have these things over the next few weeks. We're going to say stuff, and it's going to go. You're going to be like, oh, shoot, I'm a sinner. Oh, man, I didn't even know that was in there. That's a good response because there's grace there to change you. There's many people who are tremendously angry people and treat people horrible in your life. You're not going to be the same in five years. You know, many of us think our anger helps control people and makes us stronger. Let me be honest. I was so angry in my early 20s that I felt if I let go of my anger, I wouldn't be as strong. I even thought I wouldn't be as physically strong because I felt like I would take brothers when I was younger when I was angry. You know, I didn't want to let go of anger because I liked people feeling intimidated around me. I liked them feeling if they did that, my lid was going to blow off and they were going to get it. It was a way to control and a way to manipulate, and it gave me power. The kingdom of heaven is nothing like that kind of power, that dominated, violent, intimidating power. Nothing like it. Jesus demonstrated that by laying down his life. Amen? So I want you guys to hear that Jesus is going to go into the heart. And listen, we've all been angry here. We've all insulted. We all call people names. We're not trying to say there's anyone here just walking around peaceful. What we are saying is we need to recognize that. That needs to go up like a Holy Spirit mind in us. And then you go back. Remember the same servant? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you guys hear me? You come undone. You say, I can't not be angry. I can't do this. I've been trying. You come undone and say, God, I don't have the strength. But come in and change me. Come in my life. Cause me to repent. Before you know it, God has made you peaceful through the power of the gospel. And that's what I need you to hear. I need you to have hope in that today. So the big question is, how did God go from murder to anger? I, thou shalt not murder. Why did he start talking about anger right after that? That's bugging me out a little bit. Because anger is the motivation for murder. When's the last time you saw a murder interview and they said, I'm just so happy with my family. I took an action and just started chopping away. Life is good. You've never seen that. You always hear people say, man, I don't know what happened. I must have been holding stuff in because this brother was next to me at the bar. All of a sudden, he said something. All of a sudden, he's dead and I'm in jail. Anger is the motivation for murder. Every fight, the motivation is anger. In many fights, it escalates and someone ends up dead. You know, next thing you know, because Jesus is getting at a heart. He's not getting that external religion. Many people want that, especially in the Northeast. We like external religion. We like to go to church on Easter. We like to put on that suit, even if it don't fit anymore. We like to do those kind of things. We like to be religious. But when that faith, when that hope, when that gospel starts affecting internally, we say, hold on. I liked it when it was external. I can check off some things. I can say a few highs and live my life without being affected. But when the Holy Spirit starts coming and changing your mind, your heart, your emotions, your life, your sacrificing, all of a sudden you start saying, oh, shoot, I didn't know I signed up for this. Let me tell you, sign up for it. Because you'll be the happiest man, happy woman ever lived. I'm not saying it will be easy. But God's getting at the motivation so his people are pure inside. And when you're pure inside, you're pure outside. And when your heart is pure, the pure in heart shall see God. Same sermon, same message. This is so important because Jesus says the motivation for murder is anger. And he gives three reasons. We're liable to judgment when we're angry. Because sometimes, you know what we'll do? We won't actually kill the person, but we'll kill him 15 times in our head, dead. I don't know what weapon you're using. 
But that's not okay. It's not okay to sit at your desk and fantasize chopping up your coworker because they made you look bad in front of the boss. That's not the kingdom of heaven stuff, guys. You gotta work through that. You gotta work through that. And that can be worked through. The first thing he says is, but if I say that you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Like I was saying, I was riding down the road this week and you guys know I'm the slowest driver in Massachusetts. I'm not in a rush to get anywhere. Half the time I don't know if I'm paying attention. A guy was like 500 feet away from me. And I went out. This man showed me so much anger. And I'm sorry I keep coming back to the road, but why is everyone working out the issues on the road? Well, just because there's a car there, there's not people in it? You think the car is stopping the insults or something like that? This guy threw me the finger. That's the Greek word. He threw me the finger, looked at me in disgust. He even sped up so he didn't want me to get out. I said, I don't even know you. How can you possibly be that angry at me? I haven't even met you. He's angry at some other people in his life, and he's taking it out on me. Do you know it's not a good testament to the church and to the gospel if you are flipping the finger to everyone on the road? Get the Restoration Road bumper sticker off your car. Please. That is not a good witness. Why are we so angry? And I'm not talking only people outside the church angry in the world. There's something wrong with us. Repent. Stop treating people so bad on the roads. We are angry at our brother, and we're liable to judgment. That's not a light thing. You know, I know I'm joking to make, to for us to understand the weight of it, but it's not a light thing that we are constantly angry at other brothers and sisters who are image bearers of God. Then it goes, this one hits home with all of us, doesn't it? Anyone who insults his brother is liable to counsel. And he's talking about that's the court. is liable to be judged. How many people, how many of us insult each other or insult others and don't think anything of it? Stop it. Stop it. People have feelings. It hurts them. Even if they try to act like it doesn't, it shapes who they are as a person. And Jesus doesn't take it lightly. He says, you who insult in angry motives are liable to counsel, to judgment. I saw one of the worst videos I've seen on Facebook this week. It was a video of two five-year-old boys at a park and adults were videoing them insulting each other. I don't know if anyone saw this. They were insulting each other, calling each other's name, and the adults were cheering them on. I mean, some of the worst insults you ever heard. Adults, parents there. It, of course, it broke out into a fight with five yards, and they're all cheering. This cultures, our culture, sometimes te- teaches that whoever can insult the other person better is the strongest. That he's strong. That he's the one to be looked up. He's the one to aspire to be like. Don't aspire to be like that man who dominates with insults and anger. Don't be that man. That man will be judged by God. That man will be judged by God. He's not someone you want to follow. He's not someone you want to teach your kids to be like. He's not someone we want to, we don't want to cultivate that kind of anger and insults. It destroys families, it destroys generations, it destroys kids, it destroys culture. Anger does that. We have to repent of it. And we don't want to adopt any of that behavior. And I wasn't just angry when I said that. 
then he finally says, whoever calls his brother a fool in anger is liable to the hell of fire. Now that gets heavy right there. Like I want to come church, but don't say hell up in here. Don't say that. I want to stay here for a second. Murder, motivation, anger. Whoever calls someone a fool is liable to hell, he says. That's heavy. How did we get from murder to anger to hell? I didn't even know these things were connected. I thought this was all different stuff. We got there because the seriousness of it, and Jesus, who loves us, warns us because he loves us. We can't act like something doesn't exist and make it not exist. Do you guys hear what I'm preaching right now? I was out at the fire with my kids um, last Friday night. It's fall, New England. You better get a fire pit going in the backyard if you know what's good for you. We get out around that fire. You know what I do as a loving dad? I don't act like the fire's not there. I start giving instructions how to act around this fire pit. And I am paranoid. I am the most overprotected dad on the East Coast. There's something wrong with me. So if they're running, I'm like, don't run. You'll end up in the fire. And I see it all happen. I live through it. My emotions. It all happened already, you know. Tally's putting a stick in and she brings it close to her face. Don't put it. You'll scar your face for life. Don't pull that thing out. Like, I'm just heaping out warnings. Just I don't even know why I do the fire, to be honest with you. It messes with me. What I'm doing is I love my kids, so I don't say there's no fire there. I don't say I'm not going to tell you what to do because I don't want you to like me. No, I say I'm your dad. I've got to protect you. There's real harm there. There's real danger there. This is how you act. And if you do that, that fire is going to hurt you. I warn you because I love you. Jesus warns us because I, he loves us. Let me tell you something. It's non-negotiable in the scriptures. It's non-negotiable in the teaching of Jesus. There is a hell. We can try to act like there's not one. We can live like there's not one. There is a hell. How do we know that? Because Jesus said so. And because of who he is. And because God can't be holy and loving and just if there's not consequences for wrongdoing. What healthy relationship do you know where there's no consequences? There's no justice if there's no consequences. Just because we ignore evil, ignore sin, doesn't mean there aren't consequences for it. People suffer all over the world because other men sin against them. There's consequences. And Jesus teaches that every man, and make sure I'm going to give this balance to this, who lives according to external righteousness, but is not changed inside until the gospel permeates him, and he's not living angry because of the gospel. And I'm going to unpack this a little more. Anyone who chooses to live angry is liable to judgment. And that word liable means subject to judgment, guilty to judgment, you know, all those kind of things. Now, what happens when we hear that? There's some fear that comes up, right? That's a natural feeling. I don't want you guys not to ever be afraid of anything. I don't want my kid, I want my kids to be afraid of certain things. Like, I, I, everyone says, my kid ain't afraid of nothing. He's gonna run into some issues. He's gonna run into some walls. We need to have a healthy fear of God, not a paranoid fear of God. And we know, when we know that there is a judgment, we know there is a hell, when we know there are consequences, now we can enjoy God because every one of us has insulted our brother and sister. You see where I'm going. Every one of us has called someone a fool or the equivalent. Every one of us has been angry with our brother. And we deserve hell. 
I'll say myself first. I deserve punishment. I'm a heinous sinner. I was a heinous sinner. I am a heinous sinner. And I will continue to sin. God has sanctified me, but I won't be perfect till I see him face to face. I deserve it. You deserve it. We deserve it. But guess who got it? Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. Some people never talk about sin, hell, and judgment, so they never can feel the power of the gospel and what Jesus really took on that cross. Yes, we did deserve it. We're not the good people in here. We're the bad people Jesus died for. And when we figure that out, you're not going to be mad at everyone else because they're not as good as you. Jesus took everything me and you deserved. Every heinous crime, every transgression, every sin you've never even told a soul about that you can't, you can't be forgiven of. And he's forgiven it on the cross for all those who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. He took what we deserved. Is that awesome? Is that amazing? Is that humbling? God is love. So for you, for those of you who believe here, I don't know if everyone believes who believes who doesn't. For those of you who believe, I want you to live in that truth. And that truth humbles you. And because you've been part of that, you have no reason to be angry at every, anyone ever again. You're going to fall and you're going to get mad. But I pray you remind yourself and the Holy Spirit reminds you, you have no reason to be angry again because of what Christ has forgiven us of. For those of you who have not put your faith in Jesus yet, I say this in all love. Don't think you have tomorrow. There is judgment for all those who reject Christ, reject his teachings, and reject his person. He offers grace to all those who put their faith in him. And today's the day of salvation. Amen? That's big stuff. I know that's heavy, and that's why I gave the grace sermon at, at the beginning. So let's just go into a little application here. Because I'm, I'm amazed at how it says, if you have something against your brother and you're going to give your gift, before you even give your gift during worship, go and make amends, be reconciled with your brother. That's like an immediate command. When I heard that command, I thought of like five people I need to make amends with immediately. Like today, like an hour ago that I need to make amends with. Because they have the same structure in worship. People came up and made sacrifices. They came up and gave financially. And when they do that, what do we do before communion? We try to analyze our heart and Lord, forgive us. Do I have unforgiveness towards others? All those things where we're looking for inward purity. What Jesus is saying, before you come up and you take communion, before you come up and give it, and he was talking in the context of old, before you give your gift, if you know that you're in an um, argument with someone, you know someone's offended, go and reconcile with them. Like immediate command. He didn't say like schedule it for next Thursday. He said if that's happening, get right in there and make reconciliation. I was totally convicted by this. Because he doesn't say if you offended someone. He said even if someone's offended at you and it's not your fault, go make amends with them. Wow. And he's particularly talking about the body of Christ here. He's saying your brothers in the body of Christ. If there's someone here today that you are hostile towards, that you have offended, they offended you and you guys have some stuff to work out. Now I'm not pressuring you and watching people. Is he talking to her that they have to work that out? I knew it. No, I'm just trying to give a heart lesson here. If someone has offended you, or you have offended someone, and you have living angry at them, and they have been living angry at you, make reconciliation because God has made reconciliation with us. 
You guys hear me? Even if it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Do you guys understand me? We're imperfect, and we think there's just a right or wrong. There could be a quarter right, 20, 75% wrong. There could be wrong on both sides, right a little on both sides. Like, we're imperfect. Only God is always perfect and never wrong. A lot of times in relationship, both parties could have done things better. Amen? There's a lot of truth in that. But the goal is reconciliation through the gospel. Not because any of us deserve it, because we don't deserve it. And what Jesus did for us. Now we can love each other and be peacemakers and not be angry with one another. I pray that we as a church, Restoration Road, we are marked by grace. I pray that we're the most loving people on the roads. I pray that we're most loving people to each other. You know, when you're doing church life together, when you're spending time with people, you're going to offend each other once in a while because you're sinners. I pray that we repent quickly and forgive quickly and we're always reconciled because of the gospel. Amen.